There is unimaginable power in water. The power to give life. And the power to take it away. Its force can destroy entire cities. Yet a single well can sustain a village. We pray for rain to fall on thirsty soil and bring a new harvest. We yearn for it, but we're never fully satisfied. The same sea that God parted to rescue his chosen people. He brought crashing down to destroy their enemies. And when the relentless waves of life crashed down, drowning us in the depths of despair, only one hope keeps us holding on. To be rescued, revived, raised to life. everybody. Happy Easter. The regulars of Christ the King are in absolute shock right now because you didn't even know I owned one of these, did you? <laughs> if I knew people would clap, I would have lifted my game a long time ago. So that's just kind of crazy. Unbelievable. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. Welcome to Easter at Christ the King. We're so glad that you are here. I'd like to tell you some stories today of how God has been transforming people's lives. And I'm going to go all the way back to fifth grade. The fifth graders at my elementary school got to take swimming lessons at the local YMCA. Now, if you'd already taken swimming lessons, you got promoted to the deep end, and you got to go and experience something known as a diving board. And if you were a little kid, you remember this, you'd jump off the diving board and you'd swim immediately under the water as quickly as you could to the ladder that went up the side of the pool because you didn't want to drown. Well, this one day I did that. I went to the end of the diving board, I dove in the water, I started heading directly for that ladder because I wanted to get out of the water. And while I was still under the water, God, in his perfect plan, which I still don't understand at this point, spoke to Owen Davies, one of my friends, and said to him, you should climb down that ladder right now. So I'm under the water, climbing up the ladder, Owen is climbing down the ladder, and I suddenly find myself pinned underwater, tangled up in all things Owen Davies, which you should not even think about for a while, because that's just wrong, all right? And I start thrashing and punching, I couldn't breathe, I panicked, I sucked in some water, I started choking, my life flashed before my eyes, which at the age of 11 takes about a millisecond and is pretty boring, actually, at that point. And I start feeling weird and woozy because I'm running out of oxygen and then I was raised to life. Ellis Krausten, the lifeguard, saw what was going on, reached down in the water, grabbed me by the hair and pulled me right up. <laughs> I'm like flopping like a fish right out there in front of everybody. And breathing never felt so good. I was thanking Jesus and then I had to repent to Jesus because I murdered Owen Davies in my brain about seven <laughs> times in the next couple of sections. You know, I, uh, I could look around the room, we could, we could just start telling stories about moments when we felt our life was going away and then suddenly it came back. I look around this room right now and I see people who've been raised to life. My friend DJ's here, he's been here all weekend long. Years ago, DJ was electrocuted, his heart stopped. Twelve seconds later, another jolt of electricity hit him and his heart started beating again. And DJ was raised to life. My friend Monty was here last night. He's been here this morning again. 
Earlier this year, Monty and I walked through some tough stuff together because his wife, Connie, lost a battle to cancer. Make no mistake, Connie was raised to life with Jesus in heaven, but cancer was still hard. Monty carried on. He was playing racquetball one day when his heart stopped. Some of you read about his story in the paper. His friends did CPR. They got him to St. Joseph's Hospital, and at the same point, at some point, Jesus stepped in and used doctors and nurses to to raise Monty back to life, and he's doing super good because I saw him here this weekend. A couple of nights ago, I, I walked into the worship center, and I was just looking around, and, and I know this will surprise some of you, but I started crying because there's a young lady standing right over here, and she was playing a guitar, and she was playing a keyboard, and you guys didn't even know this, but you came to church this morning, and you witnessed a miracle. A couple of months ago, Catherine got hit in an unbelievably brutal car accident. You probably read about that in the paper, too. They had to revive her twice. But Jesus raised her back to life. And this morning, leading worship, up in front, right over here, was a miracle that only God could do. And I think we should probably say thank you and welcome home to Catherine, too. (laughs) Katie was playing bass back here. Not too long ago, Katie had a brain issue. She actually needed to have brain surgery. And Jesus touched her and said, not yet, Katie. You're going to be raised to life. All these people that I mentioned had a physical experience of being raised to life. But I look around this room right now, and I see people who were not physically raised to life. They were spiritually raised to life. I see people who've been twisted up in drugs and bitterness and hatred and anger. And they thought they were dead. They were spiritually dead. And God brought them back to life and broke those chains off. And now they're living a completely, completely different, transformed life because of the power of God. You know what? I've noticed something about people who've come close to losing their life. They tend not to waste words. They don't want to waste anybody's time. They want to make every moment count. So today, Jesus wants every word to count because life is precious. You may not believe this, but your life is precious, especially to him. Every year in preparation for Easter, I read 1 Corinthians. I love that book because on Easter Sunday morning, I like to get to 1 Corinthians 15. It's my favorite passage of scripture because it just lays bare the reason why we are all here in this room today. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he says, For what I received... I passed on to you as a first importance. Now, you need to know this. Paul had a lot to say. He wrote most of your New Testament. And yet he makes this bold claim. He goes, what you're going to hear today, this is the most important content that you could ever open your ears to. There is nothing more important than what we're about to say in the next couple of moments. Because what he's about to say teaches us a truth. The story of Jesus is the most important story in human history. The story of Jesus has been the most debated and scrutinized story of all time because the story of Jesus is not just about who Jesus was as a man, it's who he was as God and why he involved you as the central figure in the midst of his life story. If you need to catch up, and that's okay if you do, let me give you the Reader's Digest version. Jesus slipped into the back door of the Middle East 2,000 years ago. He was born to a peasant virgin and into a scandal because we all know virgins aren't supposed to get pregnant, right? That's the way it works. He was a blue-collar carpenter. 
who began his ministry of healing and helping in his early 30s. You need to know this. Jesus never wrote a book. He never won public office. He never ran for public office. He never went to college. In fact, he never got outside of a 200-mile bubble around his little non-existent hometown. Jesus didn't do any of the things that we would normally use to associate with greatness and the controversy of his claim to be God. It started causing people to take sides in a hurry. That's what happens when you claim to be the son of God. And many people abandoned him. His friends ran away. One of his closest friends denied him. And he was turned over to his enemies, charged with blasphemy, and, and walked through a mockery of a trial. And he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothes, which were the only things that he ever owned. When he was dead, they laid him in a borrowed grave because he couldn't afford his own. And 2,000 years later, the controversy still rages. Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or was he God? In the words of the famous narrative, all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on this earth as much as that one single solitary life. Paul goes on and says this about that life. He says, Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures. And then he was buried. What makes the story of Jesus so difficult is the fact that it's so personal. Because the Bible says it was the sin of Grant Fishbook that put Jesus Christ on the cross. If you need to know someone to blame for the murder of Jesus Christ, you need to look no further than the guy with the tie and the microphone. It's my fault. I put him there. And believe me, I would so love to blame shift that to you. I would love to give you a t-shirt that said it's your fault. You know, my, my, my sin's not as big as your sin. It just somehow we're in some kind of a competition. I would love to be able to blame shift that to you. But the reality is the Bible keeps saying that I need to handle my own responsibility. That it was my sin. The story of Jesus is personal because he died for our sin. We came together on Good Friday. To remember the brutal death that Jesus endured as he took all of our sin on his sinless life. We came together and every single year on Good Friday, I always get asked the same question. Grant, why do they call it Good Friday? What's good about it? The Son of God, our Savior, is hanging dead on a cross. What's good about that? And I always remind them, the reason it's a Good Friday is because the death of Jesus was not the end of the story. Jesus was just getting started. It was just the beginning. Paul goes on and says, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That's the good news of Easter. That one solitary life was laid in a borrowed grave for three days. But on the third day, the same voice that whispered to Andy and to DJ and to Connie and to Monty and to Catherine, the same voice that whispered to them and said, not yet. You're going to be raised to life. Whispered to Jesus and I believe said, my son, live. 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 The truth is this, the apex of the story of Jesus is that he was raised to life. That's why around the globe today, you will see and hear millions of people with some level of passion and, 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 and just unbelievable angst say three words. He is risen. He is risen. 
And then the Bible continues listing out the witnesses who saw Jesus a lot. The Bible lists out proof. All of these people saw Jesus after he was dead and then came back to life again. The Bible says this, and then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I love the first part of that scripture because it says this, Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And even though I don't understand it all, he did that all for me. He did it all for you. I love that part of the scripture, but then this next little list, it just touches me in the deepest part of my soul, because I'll tell you something, if I was God, and I came back to life and wanted to, to show myself to people to prove that I had actually come back from the dead, I would not have picked these people, because I don't think they deserved it. You know why I love this little list? It's because I fit right in. After Jesus was raised to life, he confirmed his resurrection by appearing to a group of eyewitnesses. Let me introduce you to them. He introduced himself to Peter. Can I tell you something about Peter? He was a man who denied him. Peter was a close friend, but when it came right down to it, Peter had to choose between owning his friend or disowning Jesus, and he chose to disown him. Peter denied knowing Jesus, and he walked away. You say, why does that matter to me, Grant? Because to me, it means this. Apparently, Jesus can forgive people who disown him. Apparently, Jesus can forgive anyone who's ever chosen the acceptance of people over the acceptance of God. Then Jesus appears to his 12 closest friends. Can I tell you something about his 12 closest friends? Most of them were conspicuously absent when Jesus was being crucified, except for a few many of whom had abandoned him. You say, what does that mean? It means this, Grant. Jesus still wants a relationship with people who abandon him, even when life gets hard, or when they walk away because someone just asked them a tough question, or they walked away and hung their head in shame just because somebody was watching them. I love the fact that Jesus comes back to those who ran away. Why would Jesus do that? Because he loves them. If you've ran away, he loves you. He'll follow you. He wants a relationship with you that much. Then Jesus appears to 500 witnesses, many of whom also walked away from him. You notice that there's a recurring theme here. I mean, think about this. When Jesus is being crucified, where, 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 where's, the, where's the half a thousand people here? You'd think they would be somewhat predominant in showing up, but they weren't there. And think about the pain that must have caused. Jesus had baptized so many of them, healed so many of them, taught so many of them. But when they saw him hanging, dying on a tree, they thought, you know, walking away just seems like the right thing to do. It was wrong, but it seemed like the right thing to do. And then Jesus appeared to James. I have no idea why he includes him in this list. I mean, it's his brother who ultimately would carry a message of hope from Jesus for the rest of his life. And this is the only thing I can think of why he's included. If you could convince your brother that you're God, you're God. Because <laughs> I know how most of your brothers feel about you if you've got one, right? And this is the only thing I can come up with. And then he says, he appeared to the apostles. Here's what we need to know about the apostles, many of whom they were killed for sharing about Jesus in the years to come. Some of the apostles were skinned alive because they wouldn't recant the story. 
Some of them were boiled in oil because they wouldn't recant the story. Some of them were crucified upside down on a cross because they would not recant the story that Jesus was alive. Think about that. If all you would have had to say is it's a hoax, it's not real, we hid the body. If that's all you had to say to save your life, wouldn't you take that opportunity? I think I probably would. But they wouldn't. Why? Because they had seen Jesus alive. They were changed forever. They were not going to die for a lie. They would be willing to die for the truth. That's pretty powerful. And then finally, Jesus includes this last guy, a guy by the name of Saul. Can I tell you something about Saul? He was a murderer who was raised to life as Paul the Apostle. He's the guy who just wrote all of the scripture that we just finished reading. Let me tell you something about Saul. Saul was a religious radical. We understand that word in our world today, don't we? He was a religious radical who killed Christians, not only in the name of religion, but in the name of God. He was wrong, but that's what he did. And then one day, the risen Jesus and Saul have a confrontation. Because Saul's on his way to kill more of our spiritual family some 2,000 years ago. And Jesus shows up and says, what's your problem, little man? My translation, okay? What's your problem? And Jesus and Saul have a confrontation and a murderer gets transformed into a missionary. Only God can do that. Only God can take a drug addict and turn them into a preacher. Only God can take a fatherless orphan and turn him into a worship leader. Only God can transform something that's broken and bring it back to life. Can I get an amen from somebody? So here's what happens. This murder is transformed, and this is Paul's story. The Bible says this, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then he gives us the most beautiful little one-line testimony in all of the Bible, in my humble opinion. He says, but by God's grace, I am what I am. You know what Paul was after Jesus raised him to life? He was redeemed and renewed and restored. We just saw Andy's story. It takes a lot of guts to share your story because now it's kind of public property, right? Andy was raised to life out of a broken heart. He needed a heavenly father and God stepped up and said, I'd like to do that. And if you want to know how much I, I, I'd like to do that, I'll be willing to give my firstborn son to make that happen for you. DJ, Monty, Catherine, Kate, they were raised to life to tell their story that God has a purpose in the pain. Even when it hurts, God still has a purpose. Connie, Monty's wife, she was raised to life in heaven, and now she has her full reward. I was thinking about Connie driving in this morning, because she left an indelible mark on my soul with the grace with which she walked her final days. And I was thinking about her today, and I just got to ask this question. What do you think Easter's like in heaven? <sighs> I'm not sure sometimes the purpose in God raising me back to life again. Sometimes I think I was raised to life to prove that anybody can qualify for God's grace and mercy. Sometimes I believe God raised me to life just to show everybody else that God doesn't believe in lost causes. See, the reality is this, as much as we don't want to admit it, we're all drowning in sin. 
We're drowning in shortcomings. We're drowning in the consequence of death. But here's the good news. The same power that raised Jesus to life can do that for us. So let's do something crazy. Let's have a moment of absolute honesty just for a second. I mean, if we just got to sit down and have a cup of coffee and the, and the tie and the microphone were gone and, 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 and I just got to be Grant and you just got to be James and, or Karen or whatever your name happens to be, we just got to sit down and talk and, and we had a moment of honesty, I'm wondering how you'd answer this question. What are you drowning in? What are you drowning in? In fact, I put it in your outline. I thought it was so important. Right now I'm drowning in blank. I've been doing this a really, really long time, 26 plus years, and I get to see a lot of hurt in my job. So I know for some of you, you're drowning in despair and hurt today because life is just really, really hard, and you're having a hard time figuring out why. It's a hard question. For some of us, we're drowning in arrogance because you've bought into the lie. You're just fine. You don't need anybody's help. You're good. God can just mind his own business. He's like a cosmic bellboy. If you ever need him, you'll call. And then he can show up, fix the problem, and then he needs to go away. For some of us, we're drowning in pride because we actually think our good is good enough. And we are offended when the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even a single one. Not one. For some of us, we're drowning in debt. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about drowning in the debt that we owe to God because we can't do enough good stuff to pay it off. And that's heartbreaking for us. For some of you, if you're like me, you spend a lot of your time drowning in shame because you tasted it once and you walked away, just like me. And the enemy loves to come and remind you of that because he loves to push your shame button every opportunity that he can because he knows if he can cripple you with shame, you're not going to run towards the God who loves you. Maybe we can say this for all of us, right? We're all just kind of drowning in sin drowning in our shortcomings, and we can't breathe. And if you came here today and you feel like you haven't got one more breath left inside of you, I have such incredibly good news on this Easter. Here's the truth. We can all be raised to life from sin and death because Jesus was raised to life. That's the gift he wants to give us. Jesus gave his life so that you could live yours free and clear. Jesus said if we lay our life down, if we surrender it to him, that's the only time we can really live. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And my friends, I want you to know this. He doesn't want you to have a life full of regret and shame and second guessing. He wants you to have a life full of salvation, joy, and peace. That's what he wants for you. Why? Because he's a good, good father. You know what I want for my kids? I want joy for them. Why? Because I think I'm an okay dad. Who wouldn't want that for their own children? And that's what God wants for us. Some of you have been here. This is like your 13th or 14th Easter with me up front yelling and crying, right? You're the most patient group of human beings I've ever met. And if you've heard my story before, can you just indulge me just for a second? I met Jesus as a kid in church. I was a good church kid, but now I walked away. I got baptized. I even went public. I will never forget it because there were dead flies floating in the corner of the baptismal tank. And I have OCD and I'm a germaphobe and that freaked me out. It's like somebody needs to get rid of those flies. I am not opening my mouth when I go under the water. I mean, who doesn't clean the tank first, right? Wow. Lysol wipes. You should learn that. Okay, so. It's the last service. I got nothing to lose. All right, so. 
I got baptized. I went public. And then I got cocky and I went silent. I thought I was smarter than God. I thought I was more right than everybody else. I thought I knew how to run my life better than God did. So I did. I ran my life. I ran away. I ran in my own direction. And I ended up completely lost. And alone. I filled my life with stuff and I found out something. All your stuff eventually breaks. Nothing lasts forever. I filled my life with philosophy and I ended up so frustrated because no matter what kind of intelligent question I asked, the answers that I heard from my professors, they just didn't fill the hole in the bottom of my soul. And then I thought, well, then I'll give religion a shot. That was great. You know what I ended up with? A collection of bumper stickers that only lasted as long as when I hit real pain. And they didn't work. I walked away and I learned an unbelievably important life lesson. If you walk away, Jesus will chase you. He will chase you and pursue you and follow you and doggedly keep reaching for your heart over and over and over again because he can't help himself. His love compels him to have to come after you. Why? Because you're his kid. Whether you admit it or not, that's who you are. I remember the moment. I remember it. When I came to the end of myself, acknowledged before God that I was dying on the inside and I wanted to live. I confessed with my mouth, believed in my heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And something supernatural sparked inside of me. I was raised to life and they have not been able to get me to shut up since. I mean... I'm like a band with one song. It's the same thing every week on the course. Let's sing Jesus again. Because it's the only thing that changes. He's the only one that changes anybody. I mean, if I can talk you into something, somebody smarter can talk you out of it. And God keeps showing up saying, you want to talk smarter? I'll talk smarter with you. I made you. And your brain. And your mouth. You want to talk? I'll talk. I went back in my mind to the moment when I was baptized in that fly-draped tank. And I went back to the moment because it didn't mean anything to me when I did it. But it meant something to me years later because I was surrounded by a group of people that were following Jesus. And people in my community allowed me to go under the water symbolizing what it was like to be buried in sin. Just like I buried in Jesus in all of the garbage that I'd ever layered on top of him. And then they brought me back up out of the water just like Jesus was raised to life. I went back to that moment and the craziest thing happened. The God who knew I walked away met me there. You know, I used to say this a lot. I used to say, I have no idea how you got here today. That's not true. In fact, I can say this. I know both how and why you ended up here today. Jesus brought you here. Now, a friend may have, he may have used a friend that gave you a little piece of paper that gave you the right times and stuff like that. Could be. But make no mistake, the God of all creation, he brought you here because he wanted to have a small conversation today. The same Jesus who loves you, died for you, and came back to life for you, he brought you here. And I'm going to tell you something about Jesus. He doesn't do hidden agendas. The agenda of Jesus is simple. Jesus wants your life in exchange for his he wants you to give him your life because when you give him your life, your present has purpose and your eternity is secure. 
He wants your life. Let me say it again. And he wants to give you his in exchange. So my question is simple. On this Easter 2016, will you trust Jesus with your life today? Just like Andy and Monty and Connie and Catherine and some guy named Grant did. Will you today give your heart fully and completely to Christ? Some of you may be thinking, I'd like to, I don't know how. How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Here's the deal. You pray in faith believing that what God did for Jesus, He can do for you. That what God did for Jesus, He can do for you. Here's what I know about the faith family of Christ the King. Everybody in this room at some level has experienced a dying Something died in your life, and that was hard for you. For some of you, you had a hope that your life was going to go a certain direction, that you were going to arrive at a certain place in time where you were, you know, with a certain level of bank account maybe attached to it, and when that dream died, a little piece of you died, and then the rest of you followed. Some of you, you had a purpose at one time, and you were giving yourself fully towards that purpose, and then life just came as it has a way of doing it, and you got knocked sideways, and a little piece of you died because you lost your purpose, and then the rest of you followed. For some of us in the room, it was a relationship. We put all of our eggs in the basket, no pun intended. We put all our eggs that, that this human being was going to be able to fill that, that gaping hole in the middle of our soul, and then we found out that humans can be somewhat disappointing. And you lost hope. And when your hope died, a little piece of you died and then the rest of you followed. For some of you, you had the dream that you could actually be close to God, but then life got hard and you walked away. And when you walked away, a little piece of you died. And what makes this hard is this. We've been taught ever since we were little that once something is dead, it doesn't come back to life again. What's dead stays dead and that's just the way it is. And so instead of believing that it can come back to life again, we just settle into this life of resignation and survival because somehow we think this is just as good as it gets. Can I tell you something today? If you don't remember anything else, I hope you'll remember this. If you've been taught your whole life that once something is dead, it can't come back to life again, you were taught wrong. The person that taught you that, they, they didn't mean anything bad by it. You, you, you just were taught wrong. Because I open up the pages of my Bible, and this is what I know about Easter. Jesus has the power to bring dead things back to life. Jesus has the power to revive. Jesus can take your dead life and give you a new one in exchange and restore what you lost. It may be not exactly in the package that it disappeared in, but I promise you, whatever the enemy stole from you, Jesus wants to give back to you today. And he can do that right now. And so we're coming to a moment. We're coming to a moment when I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want Jesus to save you? Do you want Jesus to forgive you? Do you want Jesus to walk with you the rest of your life? If you don't have a dad, do you want Jesus to be that heavenly father? If, if you feel lonely and broken like nobody else cares and that everybody else has given up on you, do you want Jesus to step into your life today and say, I care? I care. I love you. I chased you. I chased you onto a cross because that's how precious you are to me. So here's what we're going to do. It would seem like spiritual malpractice to not give people an opportunity on a day like today, an opportunity 
to meet the God about whom Easter is all about. So in a moment, we're going to pray together. We're actually going to bow our head and close our eyes. Not because we have to do that in order to pray. It just helps us to be able to concentrate because there can be a lot of distractions in a room this size. And I've got this question. Is today the day that you thought you were just going to show up at church and the craziest thing happens? God actually raises you back to life again and you get a whole new start. If you'd like to do that, I'm going to invite you to do that with me right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we're all just having kind of a private conversation with God right now. And nobody's moving around. Nobody's looking around. We're all just having a quiet moment in God's presence. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you were like me, and you just showed up one day and realized everything inside of you felt dead. And you wanted to live so bad. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer that came crawling out of my mouth a long time ago. If you want to be raised to life, would you pray these words in the deepest part of your soul? Jesus, I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that you are the Son of God. I believe you came to earth to die for my sin. And then after three days, you were raised to life. And you defeated death in the grave once and for all. So God, right now, I know I don't deserve this, but I'm asking, would you forgive my sin? Make me whole. God, I don't even fully understand all of this, but I ask you right now, would you be the Lord and the leader of my life? Somehow, would you use me to point more people toward you? God, would you use my broken story to bring honor and glory to your name? Jesus, I love you. Thanks for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Just trying to stay in, in the sacredness of this moment. If you prayed that prayer, something just miraculous happened. And God's transforming your soul right now. He's washing you as white as snow. All that old garbage from your life is gone. All he sees is a son or a daughter. And he loves you. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, would you do something courageous and just slip your hand up in the air so I can see it? Just stick it straight up. God bless you and you and you and you. God bless you all in that back corner. God bless you guys. God bless you right here in this main section. God bless you all right up here at the front. God bless you. God bless you and you and God bless you and you. God bless you in the back. I can see you all the way back there. God bless you and you. God bless you. God bless you over here. 
I bless you guys. I bless you. God, thank you that you're still raising people to life. God, thanks for giving somebody like me a front row seat. God, I pray right now that every person that raised their hand would know the God of heaven is reaching down and he's grabbing them by the hand and the heart. And he's saying, I got you. You've been raised to life. God, thank you for everything that you have done. We pray these things in the name of God and all God's people agreed together and said, amen. Can you do me a favor so we're almost done, but would you stand with me right now? And I'm going to ask you to do something, even though some of you don't know me, would you trust me for just a second? you just trust me? Because I remember this. I remember doing this. I was scared to death. What's God going to do? I remember doing this. And I remember Pastor Bob Dunlop standing at the end of an aisle and he called me out. I'll never forget what he said. He goes, here's what you need to know. God's not embarrassed of you. So you shouldn't be embarrassed of him. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you raised your hand in just a second, I'm going to invite you to do something stupid courageous. I'm going to invite you to slip out of your seat and come down here to the front. And I'm going to tell you everything that's going to go on so that there's no, absolutely no, no surprises. I'd like you to come down here. I'd love to shake your hand because I'd like to be the first person to welcome you into our crazy, dysfunctional, spiritual family called Christ the King Church. And then, after we shake hands, you're going to walk that direction. There's a bunch of people dressed up like Easter eggs. They're all over here like this. We have a living room set up backstage, and we would just like to get to know your name. I promise you, nobody's going to do anything weird. We'd like to give you a gift. We'd like to get to know your name. We'd like to just hear the decision that you made so that we can touch you. So if you made that decision and raised your hand, would you just slip out of your seat and start walking this way? Just start walking this way right now. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God bless you. Just come this way. You come right up here. God bless you. God bless you, guys. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you, guys. God bless you. Can't, there you go. God bless you. It's nice to meet you. God bless you. Awesome. Keep coming right here, man. You're going to go that way. God bless you guys. God bless you. Tears are good. Tears are good. All right? God bless you. God bless you. Come on, church! God bless you guys. God bless you. You're going to go that way, okay? You're going that way and you can trust my friends. I promise you. All right? God bless you. That's awesome. God bless you. God bless you. It's awesome. God bless you guys. You're going that way, okay? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You're going that way, okay? God bless you. Hi. God bless you. Best decision you could ever make. Awesome. God bless you. That's awesome. Awesome. God bless you, guys. God bless you. So good. It's so good. 
keep coming this way. Awesome. Well, that's cool. God bless you guys. Awesome. Keep going. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Welcome home. Welcome home. That's great. You guys go that way, all right? Okay. Bless you. God bless you. So good. So good. So good. Hi, sweetheart. Awesome. Go that way, guys. You're going to head that way, okay? God bless you guys. It's so good. Best decision ever. God bless you. Awesome. I like your lid. That's cool. God bless you guys. Awesome. You're going to go that way, okay? You're going to head right up those stairs. God bless you. Sweetheart. That's awesome. All right. So, some of you walked away. It's time to come home. Andy talked about getting baptized. I talked about getting baptized. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. This group of people back here, they're coming to know Jesus for the first time, but some of you, now's your day. We put an 18-foot pool in the meeting place. It's full of water and full of people. And I know right now you're thinking, oh, I got I did it. I spent an hour doing my hair, Grant, okay? I hate to break it to you, it's pouring outside. And what greater story than to show up at your Easter egg hunt looking like a drowned rat, like what happened to you? Jesus hijacked my Easter. He hijacked my Easter. So, it's like, I didn't bring any clothes. Got you covered. Got clothes back there for you. You can change into them, get baptized, and change back. I didn't bring a towel. I got a towel for you. My grandma's not here. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out some way for her to see it. I got kids down the kids' wing. We've got them covered. We have a little holding tank for them over here. And, and we've got people that are, that are here, they volunteered to be here all weekend long to love your kids if you wanna make that move. So right now, another moment of being stupid courageous. If you wanna be baptized today, it's like, this is my Easter, I'm gonna, now's the time. I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you see in the back corner right up there, that exit sign, there's a big, there's a little red sign. It was big, now it's smaller. Okay, so it's a red sign and it says baptisms this way. If today is your day of obedience, right now, I don't want you to think about it or process it or overcomplicate it. I just want you to be obedient. So if you want to be baptized right now on Easter, I'm going to ask you to start walking towards that back corner. You just start, you just slip out of your seat and just start walking. I'll see you in the tank, Charlie. That's awesome, bro. Just start walking. Just start walking. Just start going. Just head to the back corner. No time like the present. This is awesome. Just start going. Now's the time. Now is the time. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. Awesome. 
There you go, they're still moving. Keep encouraging them, it's a big deal. Awesome. Fantastic. It feels like if you guys don't get an opportunity to sing some praise to God, this place is going to explode. So let's worship him. Todd will come up and give you instructions on how to find your family. We'd love for you to come and hang out in the room. It's been crazy all weekend long. Church, I have three words for you. He is risen.